You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Chi-town, you know what it is. Blue and orange, blue and orange, blue and orange, blue and orange. Yeah, Windy City, you know what it is. Blue and orange, blue and orange, blue and orange, blue and orange. Yeah. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to The Rule of Three, a Chicago Bears podcast hosted by yours truly, Robert Schmitz, alongside Brandon Robinson and Danny Meehan. But Danny can't make it today, so on this special episode of Rule of Two, Brandon and I will take advantage of some long time off that we've had here and get back into the swing of things talking about Chicago Bears as we wrap up a minicamp that has been well covered. But thankfully, as Brandon and I were talking about pre-show, we're kind of both of the perspective that minicamp doesn't really matter. Brandon, you had a great way to phrase it. So, so what does minicamp mean to you? Well, it, it mean, to me, it means nothing. It's just shorts and t-shirts. It's the same thing. You can equate it to the combine, basically. The, guy, the guys are in shorts and t-shirts, and they're playing seven on seven. And it's, I mean, for the coaches, like being being a coach, you know that, early on, especially during the summer, it's like you're just learning the offense, you're learning the defense, because especially in the NFL, it's a revolving door of guys. So they need to teach everybody the offense, everybody the defense, everybody the special teams, and go through things like that. But as far as far as the hype and everything, I, I just I'm not I'm not here for it. Cause I mean we went through the 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 Cole Comet and the Jimmy Graham hype last year and we all know how that went. Yeah, I mean, you're you're being really muted on that, but I had forgotten about it until you mentioned in the pre-show of just how much hype was coming out of primarily, like, major Bears beat voices. I mean, I remember Brad Briggs, Biggs. I remember Adam Johns, Adam Hogue, all of the standard Bears voices talking about how good this Chicago Bears tight end unit could be, and they ended up, like, let's be honest, they ended up below average. Maybe not the worst. This wasn't 2017 receiving core bad, but it wasn't exactly like a, tw- a two Titans running out of the, or like running wide open and so on and so forth. Out of but, seven. Right. At best. But you, you know, you move on. And at that point, I look at minicamp. Obviously, it's a great experience moment for Tevin Jenkins, Justin Fields, and the rest of the rookie class. Like, it's important. It's just also equally important for us fans to not take these reports for anything more than guys in shorts. Even so, there's, I, let's call it a storyline that got recently answered by our own Bill Zimmerman, and that is Eddie Goldman. We'll talk about that. And then we'll talk about the what is becoming almost a two 
talked about topic of should Justin Fields start sooner rather than later advantages and disadvantages. We'll go over that should be a great show, but first and foremost, we'll start with Eddie Goldman who had been getting a lot of heat recently for potentially retiring. Everybody kind of trying to figure out, read between the lines, like see, dig up old emails and anything that they could on Eddie Goldman, whatever it looked like to try to figure out, is he retiring? Does he hate the bears? Is he coming back? Are we going to be good? Are we going to be bad? And Bill Zimmerman, our own finally heard as we saw on Twitter yesterday from a source very close to the Goldman uh, camp that he will be returning to Chicago bears training camp. So that's great to hear. I know I've been pretty high on Goldman, not, not as high as some bears fans. If I could be really honest, some look at him as a disruptor equal to a key mix in his prime, but Goldman's really, really important. And the bears sorely missed him last year on a team that really struggled to stop the run or two gap with anybody outside of Hicks. I know you've been fairly critical of him though. And I would love to give you a chance to talk about it. Do you think given what we saw last year, that Goldman is a more welcome addition than you expected him to be? like this time about a year and a half ago? Well, I would argue that I would value him as a player a lot more this year than last year. And that has nothing to do with how the season went last year, the defense performed, but more just because of the schematic change and because they're going to be running a tight front with only one linebacker on the field. And that's so important because – as me, as we talked about in the pre-show, like Roquan is not the type of linebacker that's going to be fighting off blocks. So if he's the only linebacker on the field, if he's the only inside second level defender, he has to be kept clean. And so in this tight front, the nose tackle is very, very, very important. You see it when when the, when Tampa uses it with Vita Vea. You saw the defense, the, the difference of when he was on the field and when he wasn't on the field. So, I mean, he, he is going to be very, very important because, I mean, they don't really have many. I mean, they're going to want Tonga in there, but he's going to, have to, he's going to take time to develop. So he's, he's never going to be more important for the Chicago Bears than he is this year. You know, that's a great point about how much of it comes down to scheme. And for those of you Bears fans that are either new to the show or don't quite know what Brandon's talking about, I'll go ahead and summarize. And Brandon, you can correct me where I use improper terminology. Basically, think about it this way. In the 2018 Chicago Bears defense led by Vic Fangio, the Bears played what is called a two-gap 3-4. So what they would do is that they would have their primary defensive linemen, the interior guys, Akeem Hicks and Eddie Goldman each eat up two gaps in the run and a gap if you think about it is the center to the guard or the guard to the tackle or the tackle to the outside edge like these gaps between players where people run through Akeem Hicks and Eddie Goldman would each handle two of them because they were a that big and b that good that means that you could cover four gaps which can often be controlled by four players in four threes with just two guys and that allows you to put extra coverage men on the field or send a blitzer basically it lets you schematically get a lot more creative because two guys are doing the work of what could be four usually three players 
last year in the Pagano scheme, we did not see that. The Bears struggled to stop the run so early in the season that they shifted much more towards, like, I get, what would you call it, a standard one-gapping setup? Because that's what I've been referring to it, but I'm sure that's pretty coarse language, where Bilal Nichols would handle one gap, and Robert Quinn would handle one gap, and linebackers would be tasked to fill in those running assignments, and that meant they got hit a lot harder during play-action sets, because those linebackers would jump to fill their assignments and then get caught with their weight too far forward, when they needed to drop back to pass standard that like, that's what's made play action so successful over time, but I'm getting that right. Right. The value of Goldman here is that as the bears shift back more towards that Fangio tree and what we're assuming Sean Desai is going to run Akeem Hicks plus Eddie Goldman means that if they can play it, let's say even 85% of what they were in uh 2018 the bears should be able to get a lot of value out of a roquan smith that's so good in coverage that if he doesn't have to worry about sticking his nose in the pile on inside runs he'll be even better at sideline to sideline tracking and everything else that makes that defense go right well brandon staley would argue that he doesn't he doesn't really believe in two gapping he, he believes in getting upfield, but when you when you get plays like inside zone where the center and the guard are trying to climb up to the linebacker, the nose tackle is still basically two-gapping because he can't allow those guys to climb up, so he has to be able to hold both gaps and keep the guard there instead of letting him climb. So I, that, that's really why he's, he's so important because you want to be able to be comfortable playing too high instead of playing the one-high defense that Pagano kept going back to. Because he wanted to, that's why he kept playing so much man. He switched to a bunch of man coverage, was so he could have more guys in the box because he didn't feel comfortable after they were giving up so many, so many yards in the run game. Makes sense to me. Not to mention, every time you talk about the Bears playing more too high, all I can think about is how much more comfortable I imagine Eddie Jackson will be in that setup. It's not as if Eddie Jackson did anything particularly wrong last year. I feel like a lot of fans have looked at having two touchdowns called back and his general lack of interceptions, and then it did not help anything that I believe it was the Packers game when he had a ball hit him in the hands and fall Mm -hmm. to the turf. That's never endearing, and it never helped Kyle Fuller's case that happened constantly in his case but eddie jackson does seem so good at handling zone assignments particularly smaller zone assignments that when you can almost guarantee he's going to be in like this area or that area instead of playing all the man coverage that he was playing last year he's still a good defender in that case but you're not getting the value out of him that you could when you allow him to potentially anticipate routes like we saw in 2018 and even partially in 2019 i don't know I I can't help but when I watch 2020 film, see Eddie Jackson as this player that just seemed like a fish out of water. It felt like he was always, whether it was pursuing the game too hard instead of letting it come to him or trying to force something, he did not seem comfortable in what he was doing and ended up getting victimized a lot as the season went on because teams would realize that you could gesture one way and throw back the other. Like everybody remembers that week 12 Green Bay touchdown that fooled Eddie Jackson with Robert Tanyan leaking out the backside. I don't know. I can't put my finger on it as a defensive guy. I'm sure you have a much better understanding of what was going on, but the more I watch that 2020 defense, the more I don't feel like I was honest with myself enough about how disjointed 
everything seemed from a like Akeem Hicks didn't seem comfortable and Jackson didn't seem comfortable. Khalil Mack was trying his best and just getting schematically erased out of most game plans. And Roquan Smith was really one of the only players to truly shine. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, when you when you let the run game dictate what you're going to do as a defense, I mean, that's that's kind of completely backwards to what you want to do. That makes sense. And when you and when you have a weapon like Eddie Jackson and you're putting him man to man on a tight end, you're completely wasting him. Because what you want with Eddie Jackson is you want him in zone coverage where he's playing deep and he's able to to match receivers and coverage. And the thing is, with, with most teams is their their best weapons are always going to be their receivers in the pass game. So you want him matching those coverages deep instead of man-to-man on tight ends because he was – so many times you would see them with, with one – you'd see Tayshawn Gibson back there deep and you'd see Eddie Jackson man-to-man on, say, Jared Cook or some tight end, and it just, it just doesn't really make sense because he's the guy that wants to make plays. So if he's in man-to-man, he's peeking out the corner of his eye trying to make plays in any way he can, and that's not what you want him to do because as a defense, you want your guys to do their job. If he's trying to make plays in man coverage and he's peeking his eye, he's not doing his job because he's not that kind of player. So if they get back to these to these match coverages, you really hope the rest of the defense will be able to thrive. But then you get situations where you're you're playing Deshaun Gibson on the other side, and he's not the best in match coverages because he likes he likes to back pedal. He likes to eat grass. And in match coverages, you can't really do that because you're you're tied really tight to the to the receivers, the less space the better. So we'll see how it all works out. I mean, I, I think the, the, the cornerback position opposite of Jalen Johnson is the biggest, the biggest issue more than anything, because I mean, we got a lot of reports at a Kendall Vildor uh, breaking on camp. And it's just like, I mean, that's a couple, three days in mini camp. I don't, I don't really know what he's supposed to do there. And he's, I, to me, he's built a lot more like a nickel corner than anything. I know he has longer arms, but he's a shorter guy and he, I don't know. His wingspan doesn't look the same as his long arms. So I don't know how well he's going to do, especially in these match coverages, because you got, you have to be able to analyze these routes on the fly. And he's more of like a press corner. So he's not going to be able to match these coverages, especially deep in these cover four coverages. So we'll, we'll, we'll see how it all works out. I mean, they brought in Desmond Trufant, who is a zone corner. So you'd hope he'd be able to, to step into that spot. But, but the more film I see of him, the less confidence I get. I think that is a huge hole in this defense. And I think unless they find a way to fill it with Steven Nelson or something like that, I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be one of those spots where we talk about all season long and the draft comes around and everybody knows who Ryan Pace is drafted in the second round. I, I'm going to say something, Brandon, that you might find I'm not going to say it's blasphemous, but you might find it insulting, but I'm just going to say it anyways. My prevailing opinion going into this 2021 season is that now that we drafted Justin Fields, I don't really care how many games the Bears win this next year. 
And the fact that the defense has some spots like corner, like safety too, like nickel corner at this point, like what, I mean, is Eddie Goldman going to come back to where he thought he was? How long do we have a Keem Hicks truly like at his or at good form was last year, the start of the end for him. What in the world are we doing at the first inside linebacker spot? Like if you think of Roquan as the will I inside linebacker, who's ILB one, is it really going to be Danny Trevathan long-term? Like I could ask another questions here before even getting to Robert Quinn Brandon that I look at it and I'm like well it doesn't really matter I don't expect a rookie quarterback to win the Super Bowl anyways so if we're being Super Bowl focused I just want the defense to be good enough that the offense doesn't have to score a billion points a game and that we can create a nice development environment for Tevin Jenkins uh what is it Khalil Herbert Justin Fields and what is an offense heavy draft before we go and try to fix things next year because as we saw with Antoine Winfield and tons of other defenders all over this league you can kind of plug and play defenders but offense can take a little bit of time to incubate as people really settle into their role I again I don't want to make it sound like defense doesn't matter to me obviously I would like the Bears to win but last year I needed the defense to be a lot stronger and they needed to have that edge whereas this year if Kendall Vildor needs some time to find himself and I'll give my opinions on him in a little bit I see you with your hand up then sure fine because I don't need the defense to take over the game. This is supposed to be an offense-driven team, Andy Dalton or Justin Fields. And at that point, it's it's their time to make it or break it. What were you going to say? I think the most important thing, like I, as you're saying, is the development of Justin Fields. Now, whether that's him on the field or off the field, I think that's still the case. The most important thing of the 2000. 21 season for the Bears is his development. The only thing is the Bears need to treat it that way. Cause if, we, cause if we're not worried about 2022, then we need to win games. If we're not, if we're not worried about 2021 and we're focused on 2022, then they need, they need to trade Hicks. <laughs> they need to cut Graham. They need to get a, in a better space with the cap moving forward, but that's just not what they're doing. They're, so we're, we're really doing this, like we plan on winning thing, but it's just like, this team's not set up to win at all. And that's just fine because they have their future at quarterback, but it's just like, you, you have to prepare for the future. And if you're not preparing for the future, then you should be trying to win as many games as possible. I am going to tell you the name of the person who architected all of this. It's not Ryan Pace and it's Mickey Loomis. <laughs> And as much as Bears fans, because I've seen this, I've seen a lot of Bears fans, exactly like you're saying, Jonathan Woods said the same thing. I think our own Josh Sunderbuck has said similar things that like, if you aren't going to play for now, like if you're going to play for the future, play for the future. And that's never how the Saints did it. So it's never how I expect Ryan Pace to do it. I'm not saying this is good or bad. I mean, if you think about it, Mickey Loomis only still has a job because of an outright magical 2017 draft that never should have happened like it did and way overperformed what it was and completely reset their franchise. But, you know, as I say that, I can't help but think about how the Bears got what seems to be the analytics darling, like a very, very, very well-liked quarterback across the football community at number 11. Like, it's pretty magical that the Bears got Justin Fields at all in its own right, let alone Tevin Jenkins, who Mm -hmm. most had tabbed for an early, like 
20, top 25 pick at least, if not top right. 20. So you look at the Bears draft and who knows? Who's to say whether it's Saints 2017 level or not? I just know that the Bears aren't going to ever throw in the towel on a season because the Saints never did. And the guy who's running the Bears ship is exactly the same way. I saw somebody post something the other day. I think it was Butkus Stats, who does great work, if you've never seen him on Twitter, about how the Bears have carried $10 million in dead cap every single year in the last six years. Like four of those are rebuilding years, Brandon. What mm-hmm. in the world are we doing carrying that kind of dead cap? I, I won't ever act as if I understand how Pace manages the cap because he does not manage it like Baltimore. He does not manage it like the Browns. He doesn't manage it like any of these teams that are cap savvy or let's call it analytics friendly when it comes to the way modern football is starting to work. But at this point, I'm almost shrugging my shoulders. It's been seven years now. He's right. going to do what he's going to do. You're not and, and so I'm just going to sit back and watch. Going back to Kendall Vildor, though, you know, it's funny. I've seen that name get a lot of play on Bears Twitter because people have gotten really excited about it. My thoughts are very between, it sounds like, what you think and what the prevailing narrative about Kendall Vildor blossoming very good corner. I feel like he belongs in the league, and I'm not sure it's at outside corner. Like all those flashes people are seeing where Vildor almost got an interception because he played his zone correctly. And Vildor, did, he wasn't some sort of a sieve. You know, he wasn't automatic completions like we saw with Buster Screen at the end of the year. All that's a good sign. Like he, he was a lot more promising as a rookie, I would tell you, than Duke Shelley, who was taken just a round later the draft sure. before. I just don't know, like you're saying, if just because he had a smidgen of success at outside corner, he's an outside corner for life. I would hope he transitions inside eventually. Like you said, he has the size and build and standard. He honestly, hilariously enough, is more like a young buster screen than anything else in terms of how he plays. And I would love to see him take over that role. I just know that like you're talking about, I mean, what's the answer next? Is it Artie Burns after Desmond Trufant? Is it uh, like, who's, who's after that? Trey Robertson? Like the bears are so thin at corner that I almost understand why they'd be like, well, Vildor played it last year and we do not have a lot of options. So Kendall, you might be playing outside again. Are you cool with that? I I get the thinking, whether I like it or not. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I, I'm one of those guys that tries to stay optimistic with guys that have been injured. Like Desmond Trufant, like he's been in the league for like what, eight years. He's been injured the last two years. So I'm like, he could, he could stay healthy. Like that could happen. But it's just like you you look at the other side and we got Jalen Johnson who's had four shoulder surgeries. Who knows if he had a fit this 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 offseason? I won't believe anything the Bears say. And it's just like after that, you got a bunch of bunch of no names. And it's just like you're really gonna put yourself in the position to where you just got like because we went through this same exact thing last year. But the only difference is now we got Desmond Trufant. And it's just like they didn't pay him. You can tell by how much they paid him. It's not like they really believe in him. They gave him the minimum. They don't really believe in him. So it's just like, what are we What are we really doing here? And the thing is, I really like Kendall Vildor for what he is. He can play press really well. But it's just like, I'm not living in the NFL. It's like every time we evaluate prospects, we're like, oh, he's good in press. It's just like, how, how often are you watching an NFL game and the team is pressing the entire game or right. 50% of it? That does not happen. They're pressing for like 10% of the game. So it's just like, it's a, it's a good thing that it's a good thing to have, 
but that's not what a corner is made off of. So it's, he, he needs to learn how to match in these coverages, but it's just like, I mean, you're not going to, you're not going to rely on him starting. He needs to work through that during the preseason, which hopefully we'll have, if, even if it's two games, so he can work through those things. But it's, I mean, other than that, it's, it's, and also like, say he plays outside, who's playing nickel? <laughs> it's like, who's, who's starting at nickel? Duke Shelley? I want to have something witty. <laughs> I mean, like my, if I got to pick a, 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 like a starter at nickel, if I got to pick one right now and it, it couldn't be Kendall Vildor, I'll just throw Thomas Graham in there. Like Duke Shelley doesn't need to be soaking the reps, you know? And Thomas Graham's one of those guys that I'm, I'm still shocked. The bears got him in the sixth round. He seems yes. like a very talented corner. And so if he can learn how to play that nickel role, like heck yeah, I would love for him to, and the bears would get a bargain at that position. But like you're saying, I mean, this is why I said, Brandon, a couple minutes ago, like I'm just ready to live with defensive issues because I can't look at this corner setup. I can't look at, uh, at oh my word, how's his name escaping me? Gibson, the safety. Mm-hmm. I, can't re- I keep Travis Gibson has ruined my ability to say Tashawn Gibson. Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> I keep thinking it's Travis. But so with Tashawn Gibson and Desmond Trufant slated to start, I have already said we have enough secondary issues that I'm just ready. Like whether it's Danny Trevathan, whether it's Desmond Trufant, whether it's uh, Tashawn Gibson, something's going to go wrong here. And so <laughs> that's like, what it feels like. It I'm, really does. I'm down to play the kids where the kids are ready to play because the bears could use it. Like you said, there is no guarantee. Jalen Johnson goes injury list this whole season. Yeah. No guarantee at all. And uh, at this point, it's like, Maybe the best use of the defense, maybe like around week nine, Brandon, we'll be saying all the defense has to do is just give up the score fast enough that we get to see the offense again because it's hard to watch. So just don't take too long and get off the field one way or another. But that's that's a bit more tongue in cheek than I would like to be thinking this season will go that way. Well, yeah, we always get I feel like the last couple of years we've got into a certain point in the season where it feels like they're out of contention. It's just like, play the young guys, let the young guys develop, see what they have. What are we doing? Let the young guys develop. And it's just like, that's not how the NFL works. They're trying to win games. They're all trying to right. play for jobs. And it's just like, they're going to play the best guy always. Yep. Always. So it's just like, is Thomas Graham going to start in the slot a six, a date, six round pick. He's going to play. He's going to be your slot defender playing 70% of the, he's going to be on the field more than, Eddie Goldman. That's what's going to happen? I, I guess. We'll see. We'll see. I hope he develops. No. I'll be optimistic. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Like, that would be – there would be a – there's a – based on where he's drafted, there is less than a 2% chance he's, he becomes a starter. If Kyrus Tonga becomes even a rotational player, huge win. If he like, makes the team. He makes the team. Huge For win. more than one year. Huge <laughs> win. I mean, but – it's funny you talk about playing the kids because you're segueing perfectly into the mm. other big topic that I know we're going to talk about, which is when should Justin Fields start? But we've taken up enough time here at the front of the podcast. So we'll have to get after or get to it after the sponsorship break. We will be right back. Talk to you in a bit. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. 
For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And we are back with the Rule of Two podcast today, where myself, Robert Schmitz, and Brandon Robinson are now going to dive into what has become the question that Bears fans feel like they have an absolute hard and fast answer to. But if you ask a different Bears fan, they have a very different hard and fast answer to it. And it's when should Justin Fields start? Now, it's funny because we just talked a little bit a while ago, Brandon, about how NFL teams don't really just like play the kids. And if we look back at precedent for playing or for when to play the rookie quarterback, there's not really a firm answer. You know, I mean, you know this, so I'll just repeat some to the to the viewer. Sam Darnold started immediately as a rookie and he looked bad. Uh, Josh or Josh Allen started immediately as a rookie, looked bad, had maybe one of the greatest turnarounds ever going from outright bad to incredible. Patrick Mahomes sat for pretty much his entire rookie year because he had a very good quarterback in front of him. He obviously turned into an MVP literally the next year. Deshaun Watson started immediately, looked great immediately, got hurt, came back later. Let's not talk about what happened to him since then. The quarterback situation that I can't help but look at and think that is most similar to the Bears, just in terms of out, like, let's get rid of all of the other, uh, as many outside variables as we can, is Tyrod Taylor and Baker Mayfield, where Tyrod Taylor got signed that season to be the Brown starter, and then Baker Mayfield was taken at 1-1. He wasn't even taken in 11th. He was taken at 1-1, and he still sat some games. I can't help but think that the Bears, given that they signed Dalton, are going to end up playing him for a couple games, but I want to get your take. Do you think, A, that Justin Fields is going to start week one, and B, do you think it's an intrinsically bad thing for him to sit a couple of games? Okay, well, Matt Nagy has said multiple, multiple times that Justin Fields is not starting, so I'm, I'm going to believe him when he says it because I have no reason not to, not to believe him, but whether he should start or not, I – I don't, for me, I don't see how he could be ready to start. Like, why, why would I expect a rookie quarterback to be able to run NFL concepts at a high level day one? Like, it just doesn't make sense because the NFL concepts are really complicated. Why, like, he, would he be better served playing than he would be sitting and watching? I don't think that's the case. Because I think he, I think he can sit and watch and not go through those mistakes and let Dalton show him those mistakes instead. And it's just like if we're playing the best player, like a lot of people say, just Justin feels he's more talented. He should be starting, right? Like he should automatically. It's just like Dalton has been 
in the NFL for a long time. He's been running these concepts over and over and over. He knows every concept that's in the Bears playbook. He's going to be running it at a higher level from day one. So it, like I, whether he starts week one or not, that's up to the Bears to decide whenever he's ready. And I think that's when he should play. I don't think he should be the starter day one because I don't expect, but if he's ready, then let him play. If he's not, he's not. Whether he starts week six, week 12, next year, I don't think it matters because we're not, we're not talking about a player that's going to come in and help the Bears win 12 games. Justin Herbert was awesome, right? He was great. How many, how many games did the Chargers win? Did not win a lot, Brandon. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's just like they're, they're going to they're gonna lose games, and they had no intention of playing him. Why would we put him in that situation to fail? We put our players in situations to succeed, not to fail. So let him learn the offense, and then when he's ready, he can play. He doesn't have to play week one. He doesn't have to play week three. When he plays, he plays. I, I can't help but think the same thing, and I'll take it in a different direction, right? If there was a player that – so around free agency, and I didn't end up posting any videos on this because I just got depressed. I'm going to be very honest about it. Or, or during the offseason, I started to take a look at all the Bears quarterbacking options that they could have, right? So I watched Carson Wentz, and I went from, holy crap, this guy's crazy talented to, oh, my God, his film is a mess. This is a nightmare. I don't know mm-hmm. if I can get excited about this. Mm-hmm. Like, I really don't. If I injected myself with optimism, I don't know how he just fixes, like, ignoring, seeing, and ignoring the read because he wants to be a hero and then getting sacked and giving up a strip fumble like the, the Carson Wentz roller coaster I just had to I never vented that so I'm glad <laughs> that I got that out therapy the, right here but the guy that taught me the most about NFL quarterbacking was none other than Gardner Minshew because Minshew might be the most average tool set quarterback I think I've ever looked at. Is he slow? Not really. Is he fast? Not at all. Does he have a strong arm? He doesn't. Does he have a weak arm? Well, it's not like that weak. It's not like he's throwing lollipops, but it's not strong. He is so average that what makes him so good is his ability to decide for coverages. Thought, thought, thought. Right? Like that's what you've heard. Right, Brandon? Mm-hmm. Even he was because he's only a sophomore in the league getting frozen every time the defense would rotate their safeties and put them in a place where Minshew didn't pick it up pre-snap, never saw it coming and didn't know where to go with the ball. That was where he would either take a sack or he would tuck the ball and run because he did not know what to do with defenses that were presented to them that weren't the look that he had pre-snap. I don't want this to sound like a criticism of Minshew. Suddenly it clicked to me, Brandon, that we ask young quarterbacks to play like 11 year veterans with zero years of experience. I don't care how pro ready Mac Jones is. He's not going to pick apart defenses like Tom Brady in his first year. It took Tom Brady six years before we really got on the train of how good he was. And then only then was he like, he already had tons of experience. So to stop myself from rambling on and on and on, like you're talking about, 
I feel like people are going to take the better player argument, like play the best player and they're going to make it Madden ratings. Well, Justin Fields has like a, a 94 throwing power and he's got like a 93 speed with like an 89 acceleration. And sure, his agility isn't incredible because it isn't. I love Justin Fields, but he's more of a straight line runner than he is like side to side guy. That's okay. Only Kyler Murray and like LeVar Jackson, but, and Russell Wilson could keep going. Don't need to point is you could stack up all these quote unquote Madden ratings and you could be like, well, how far behind mentally is he really? And the answer is very, there's no way that to slice this where a rookie Justin Fields that grew so much, like the guy that I feel like everybody talked about Justin Fields as like the slow processing kind of deer in headlights, occasionally quarterback Brandon, I watched some 2019 film. That guy was there. Like he grew so much from his 2019 season to his 2020 season in terms of reading the field, you forget how new safety spotting and playing that stuff at live game speed is to Justin Fields. And he doesn't exactly have Chris Olave that's going to run out and just beat anybody Mm -hmm. without any question as, as like a safety valve auto open because that doesn't exist in the NFL. At this point, to curtail a longer point, if Justin Fields isn't ready, I don't think that's a problem. I don't need Justin Fields to prove anything to me. That's where I'm at anyways. He doesn't need to prove to me he was worth the investment in game one. He doesn't need to prove it in game six. I'd like to see something by week 12, but that's because I'm impatient. Truth be told, he doesn't need to show anything until week one of 2022, in my opinion, where he is the starter and there's no question about it. So at this point, if Andy Dalton's the better player, that just doesn't bother me because I believe it. Like Justin Fields can know the playbook all he wants. He hasn't seen what it's like to prepare to play a live defense in the upcoming game. He hasn't seen defensive wrinkles where suddenly, I, I don't know, the, it's not going to be the Lions. I was about to say the Lions, but it's not going to be the Lions. They're just not very good. Where Baltimore does something unusual with their front four that completely throws Dalton off. And in the in like between the first and second quarter, he's going through an iPad. Like, how do we feed? How do we fix it? How do we beat it? How do we beat it? He hasn't done that he hasn't lived those moments so if he needs to soak those up on the bench i don't have any issue with it in fact i think it could be really helpful and i don't think we need to throw him into the fire just to make ourselves feel better should we should we expect justin fields to know how to check check a protection to block up aaron donald no <laughs> should because he's going to be double teamed the entire game we're we're supposed to expect him to because that's what they play week one they play aaron Donald. so we're supposed to expect Justin Fields to check those pressures. There's just there's no ch- there's no chance. Why ask him to do more than what we expect of him? We should we should ask him to do exactly what we expect from him, which is nothing. It's just to sit there. Peyton Manning threw 28 interceptions his rookie season. Why put him through that? Because yep. as you as you say, Carson Wentz. We saw what happened with him when you get him off schedule. When you ask him to do more than what what he can. He gets completely out of sync and he might never recover. And it's funny you bring up Gardner Minshew because I actually talked to someone around the Jags that saw Gardner Minshew every single day and they were optimistic about Foles, which is why he was the starter. But once Foles went down and Gardner Minshew played, he played really, really well. And they, and they were really, really hopeful of him moving forward. But as soon as as soon as everybody meddled in and Nick Foles became the starter, 
and then they went back to Minshew is when they started having problems because then Minshew started playing hero ball and he started doing more than what he could and he completely changed up his game. So that's exactly what you don't want to happen with Fields because the thing is with a rookie quarterback is you're not going to start Justin Fields and then go back to Dalton. That's not going to happen. No that's not. You can't explain that to the fans, and it's not, it's not good for the rookie quarterback's mental mindset. You have to stick with them. So why are we, why are we even going to think about being in that situation? I don't know. I don't know why. Or I think it's just impatience. People want a Bears quarterback that's good. I get Let it. me see him. I want a Bears quarterback that's good. I hope he plays a lot in the preseason. Yes, that's like, exactly what I, I was thinking. He can it, play all he wants. Sure. All the fans want. He can play 100% of the snaps. Mm-hmm. I don't care because they're going to be playing vanilla coverages with not Aaron Donald on the field mm-hmm. because he's not going to play in the preseason. And he can get all the practice he needs in. And that will be perfect because if he throws touchdowns, the Bears can celebrate. They can watch the highlights. They can get all excited. But then they need to tone it down because he's not starting week one against Aaron Donald because they're not running base coverages. I'm sure they're going to be trying to run cover six like Brandon Staley ran. Let me tell you, the Ohio State, the teams of the Big Ten are not running cover six. They don't have Aaron Donald. He, He needs to learn how to work through these things. Oh, yeah. And not to mention, I mean, I can't help but sit here and think, Brandon, the transition from college to the NFL is so brutal. Like, it is so harsh. I mean, I know everybody has said this, but like in the context of this conversation, let's say it again, because I'm hoping it'll hit differently. The worst defender that Justin Fields will see on the field on Detroit was a better defender than the best defender he played against on most teams last year. Like that, that guy who's maybe been in the NFL for four years is a way better defender than most of the guys he played against in Penn state and against Nebraska against Michigan state against even Indiana, like Indiana had some really good players. So, but even so like the NFL is just, different and the funniest part about what that means to me you know I used to think Brandon that West Coast was the only NFL offense in which the quarterback threw short with a consistent basis and now West Coast has started to make its way into every single offense except Tennessee's Tennessee's is the only one where Tannehill is just like don't even look below 15 yards we want you to throw it deep or you should have handed it off and you should have thought about that but getting back to the point here What's so hardcore about the NFL, Brandon, is that if you misread an outside corner playing flat defense one time, you threw a pick on a curl route and you won't get it back. Like that's a pick six. Easy. The NFL is so fast. It's so critical that you get all of your reads right because it's almost always punishable by an interception. And that's why you see guys hold their hand or like put their hands on their heads so mm-hmm. fast is because they know they're paid to catch the ball. Whereas in college, just getting a finger on it was like super great. I don't know. I, I can't help but think that Justin Fields needing time to transition to the NFL. People act like that's crazy. That is so uncrazy. I, I just, I don't know why we're rushing because it's like, even if he's, he's running a more complex offense and everybody goes, yeah, but that shouldn't matter. It, it's mostly about the defenses. Like, right. 
at, what is it? A 20% error rate is too many errors. Mm-hmm. Anybody would tell you that like in terms of mental mistakes and whatnot, Dan Orlovsky for crying out loud, the guy who stepped out of the back of the end zone went on record saying just last year that making one mistake out of 62 is too many mistakes, according to his NFL coach. I mean, the NFL's cutthroat. And if Justin Fields needs that time, I'm fine with it. We, we just saw Tua Tungavailoa come from a college-style offense, and then he gets thrusted in there, and he has issues. And it's and the, the exact quote that came from him that everybody keeps throwing around is he was scared to check plays because he didn't have the confidence to do it. So why not let them get – grow that confidence and practice on the sideline, watching other quarterbacks check those plays and then do that because there's no way that he's going to have that confidence unless you build up that confidence. That, that confidence is to build up playing Aaron Donald. I promise you that. (laughs) No, I don't think so. Not to mention this is where, and I think, I think sometimes mentorship can get taken out of hand, right? Like Brett Favre mentoring uh, or Brett Favre mentoring Aaron Rodgers or Aaron Rodgers mentoring Jordan Love. Yeah, calm down. Like, I don't think star quarterbacks are really big on mentoring, but that's where for some reason, Brandon, I can't help but think that Nick Foles and Andy Dalton, two guys that are really trying to find a place in the NFL, like whatever that looks like. If they're the quarterback mentor guy, they're in, like they're in. Chase Daniel has made a lot of money being the quarterback mentor guy, and he's fine with it too. I think that those two guys, Nick Foles in particular, who is very audible heavy, heavy, can be really nice influences for fields, but that has to happen over time. Like they have to actually see them play in real scenarios where you don't like shower with the guy that's lining up across from you, you know, because I remember this is a lacrosse story, Brandon, we could never get a fast break drill run correctly because the defense knew what we liked to do and cheated, meaning that we never got an honest representation of what a fast break should look like because the defense never ran it stag. If that makes sense. Mm -hmm. I imagine practice scenarios are just, they're messy like that, right? Mm-hmm. Sometimes you think you made a really great play and then you found out that like then Sean, or yeah, Sean Desai steps on the field and blasts Kendall Vildor because it turns out you didn't make a great read. Vildor just did it wrong. Like he mm-hmm. wasn't in the right place. And your touchdown pass, great throw and all, but that's not going to be there on Sunday. These right. things happen. Like all this stuff. I We're spending a lot of breath on basically saying like, everybody, let's just chill out. But I think there are a lot of reasons why chilling out is a very helpful thing for fields. Cause when he does come on the field, I don't know what, about what you think. I'm just not going to be shocked at all. If we basically see a return of the Trubisky offense with an intent on fields, hitting the shot plays that Trubisky just stopped attempting by like late 2020 where like I I understand that if I say shot play people are going to think that I mean like a triple reverse throw to Javon Wims that was beautiful and it was beautiful that's not what I mean I even mean the Jacksonville stuff where Trubisky had a shot lined up to Cole Kmet that should have been a touchdown and the ball ended up airmailed think about all the airmailed deep balls that you saw with Trubisky that is literally the throw Justin Fields should be able to hit out of the box that Trubisky never could is deep work, but that's like it. I'm not saying that Justin Fields is a lesser player than Trubisky. I'm saying that mental time takes time. You don't get to start with a year's experience in the NFL because it takes a year 
and it takes two years to get two years experience in the NFL. It can be a slow process. It clicked for Josh Allen pretty late. And, jo- or, and Justin Fields seems to be working as hard as he can, but you can't speed up that clock, mm-hmm. you know? And so with that in mind, I can't wait to see the simplified offense. I think Justin Fields could even run it pretty well. I'm curious to hear what kind of offense you think that they would put him in or whether you think they would truly try to keep him in the ice box until he's ready to run the full offense. When it comes to that, if Justin Fields is going to get in the game, do you think that they'd put him in as early as they can fit him into an NFL setting? Or do you think that they're going to wait until he's ready for the whole enchilada? Well, I think based on the personnel that they have, they should try to run the outside zone play action offense because that's where they can, I believe that's where they can have their most success because I mean, they, they had their most success there with Trubisky and that's because you're running very basic concepts that, that they can, that he can execute. So you would expect Justin Fields to be able to execute those plays and, Again, as I'm saying about that confidence building, those are confidence building plays. Those basic plays that that end up turning into big plays, that's what you want to run. And especially with this offensive line, that's going to take time to develop. Like Tevin Jenkins isn't going to come in at left tackle and just be some superstar. James Daniels is going from playing center to playing left guard. Now he's going back to right guard. And he has to have time to develop there. A lot of people aren't high on Jermaine Defetti at right tackle. He needs some more work there. I, we need some more. We need to see more snaps of him playing there. So hopefully he develops and grows on what he the success he had with Juan Castillo at the very end of the season. So I just think there's a lot of things on this offense that need to develop. And there needs to be low expectations moving forward. And like you're saying, I mean, simple stuff can be a real good thing. It doesn't hurt at all, does it? That the entire offensive skill staff has like got a whole year's experience in it. So you hand the ball to Monty on an outside zone setup. He knows where he's going. You run Darnell Mooney and Allen Robinson on those kinds of packages. They know what they're doing. They did it last year. And so obviously they hope that some quarterback results change, but the system stays consistent. I don't think Andy Dalton's going to run that. I don't think you're getting value out of Andy Dalton by running that kind of ultra simplified stuff. But I do think that you could just add a couple more scoops of ice cream onto or window dressing onto the existing simplified offense and get some solid mileage out of it. You said low expectations. I feel like you're meaning just just because I want to say it right. Lower the expectations to what you're hearing on the Internet. You're hearing 13 and four. Let's cool the Jets. Should it be low expectations like 27th in the NFL? I don't think it's going to get that bad. I really don't think the Bears personnel is that bad. But I don't think that it's going to start that hot either. I'm expecting something more in the 20s region to start out with potential to grow if Justin Fields establishes himself as a superstar. But I feel like that thing that I just said at the end is truly the biggest question mark. I've never seen a superstar in Chicago. I don't know what that does to an offense because we haven't had one. And I've looked at other guys and other players on other teams, but take Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers blossomed almost immediately, but he had three years on the bench. So we got three years NFL experience, Aaron Rodgers immediately. That's not really a rookie. Um, It's, I don't know. There's a lot of thoughts. A lot of it needs to happen on the football field. 
but I can't help but think that this is going to take time. Like this whole year is a new year zero for the bears, right? Like it's a new, it's not really year one. This isn't the start of the window. This is like the prequel to the movie next year. And then the sequel after that, like we are setting up for a development year. Am, am I bananas? Do you, do I mean, you agree with this? That's, that's one thing that I feel like we don't know is five years down the road. What do we look at this season? Like, are we thinking of it as, Oh, that was a reload year. Are we thinking of this as a rebuild year or the thing that put us in a rebuild? Or do we think of this as a, like a seventh seed in the playoff? How is this, how is this going to pan out? I think there is a very little chance of that seventh seed happening. And I certainly hope that it isn't a complete blow up year either, because that means that the young guys didn't play well. I hope it's a retool year and I hope things go well, but the expectation is maybe they go six and 11, maybe seven and 10, hopefully eight, nine, nine and eight would be a great year for this team. And that's fine. You know, the only thing that I'll say to that, Brandon, is that because I know where your head's at. You're looking at the schedule. You're looking at the meat grinder that it is. Mm-hmm. The one thing with the NFL that I've always learned is for every five incredible teams, only two of them actually end up good. And mm-hmm. three of them, they have some massive blown tire that just turns them into either average or just okay or flat out bad. And nobody ever saw it coming. The Bears have a lot of teams on the schedule next year that are supposed to be really, really good. And I'm ready for them to be good. I don't want to talk anybody out of thinking that the Browns don't look great and the Ravens don't look great and the Packers don't look great. And like all these other teams, the Rams, another team, that they don't look great. Like these teams all look great. And yet, Brandon, I can't help but think that like I've hyped myself up for a lot of teams to be good. What was it? Last year, the Browns were supposed to win the Super Bowl and it wasn't right. close. <laughs> like this happens every year. So are the Bears going to somehow end up blessed by the schedule gods again, where a whole bunch of weird stuff happens on their schedule? I don't know. But that's that's why I hate getting into record stuff too early, because at the end of the day, are the Bears playing like not Baker Mayfield when they go to Cleveland? I don't know. It's not week four yet or whenever it is. So we'll see. But I can definitely tell you that I think that the Bears have a shot at the division if Rodgers doesn't play. Like I keep looking at this division and I keep thinking, actually, late season Bears, if Justin Fields comes along and turns out he's pretty good, what we hope he is, versus the Vikings, that's a solid game right there. Because the Vikings have their own problems, but maybe I'm just being too optimistic. <laughs> <laughs> I think you might be, because I'm looking at two below average sides of the ball and trying to make the most of it. But <laughs> as you said, we never know what can happen. Aaron Rodgers could sit out. Kirk Cousins could be Kirk Cousins and crinkle in the pocket and get hurt somehow. Who knows? Who knows? What that? The Lions could somehow play well, even though they have the worst roster in the NFL besides the Texans. For some reason, the two players, Brandon, just so you can know where I'm coming from, that I am most high on right now, like that I think make the biggest difference, are Darnell Mooney, who I think if he takes any step forward, 
Like quarterback play be darned. If he takes his own technical step forward, he's a very, very good receiver. And I'm not going to put him in like that Calvin Ridley class, but I'm thinking like if you, the the point is, I, I say it entirely because Brandon, I bring that name up because Julio Jones took a lot of spotlight off a very good receiver in Calvin Ridley. And Allen Robinson is taking a lot of spotlight off of Darnell Mooney. And I think Mooney could benefit the same way, maybe not the same degree, but good player. That's all I'm saying. And then Khalil Herbert, the rookie. I don't know why I've gotten myself so excited about him, but a true outside zone running back and an outside zone offense, count me in. Like he's quick, makes good bang, bounce, bend decisions. I'm about it. And so maybe I'm just like biting the sour, the candied apple at this point. I see you laughing, but I, <laughs> I think you, I think you're biting all of the candy apple because ah! he said, he sit behind, he sit behind three running backs. Polk met no, thousand no. yard receiver, I, Anthony I Miller, breakout year. Now, <laughs> if, if you want to play DF, DFS preseason football, Go right ahead. He oh, can gosh. he can definitely be a player there. I could <laughs> I could see him performing there, but that's about it. Well, I can't wait for Tariq slot guy Cohen to really resurge in the offense. I, I don't know. We'll see. Like there's there is a lot of this that's just massive question marks and it's offseason conversation. Him, but... Marquise Goodwin. We'll we'll see. We'll see how Ooh, that all shakes out. Him and Jameer Bird are yeah. certainly interesting names at the very minimum. I mean, it's fun to see that Goodwin is uh or what is it like trying out for the Olympics. That's just cool. But his impact on the football field, he he and Bird seem like veteran receivers that again, nobody expects these guys to be great. But the Bears were suddenly looking at they had Allen Robinson wide receiver one darnell mooney clear wide receiver two who the hell was going to be wide receiver three and both of those guys seem like nice just load the roster additions let me say one more thing about minicamp just one more we got breaking news fast guys look good in shorts wow wow <laughs> breaking breaking news fast guys look at shorts especially guys that are going that are potentially going to the olympics no, I'm, I'm excited because that's I, a good I, point. I think, I, exactly. Hey, I think you can't touch that guy. Well, he's gonna blow by me, coach. Well, I don't know what to tell you. Just yeah, wait for the pads. Yeah, yeah. We don't, we don't, we don't touch guys in minicamp. Now, I think it'll be exciting just because I think they've always needed guys that are jet sweep type of guys because so many times we saw Anthony Miller come on a jet sweep or Allen Robinson at times, and it's just like no one thinks they're getting the ball. And even if they do get the ball, it's like they don't have speed to turn the corner because they're not those type of guys. Goodwin is definitely one of those guys. Bird is one of those guys. So it's just like you at least have that niche to your football team that you can add in because that's exactly what they needed. You just They need another element to their offense. So hopefully one of those guys can be that, even if it's a really small role, can play that role. We really did watch three years of Matt Nagy's usage trying to convince us he thought Anthony Miller was fast. Like, I get it. He's a good route runner. I think he's a great, very talented player in a perfect world where he runs the plays correctly every time. But even so, like, you're right. Like, all those jet sweeps and the punt returning phase, for crying out loud. It was like, I I don't know if he's the athlete you think he is, Matt. But, hey, fast guys look good in shorts, right? I can't can't wait until we get to talk about real meaningful football, but that'll be a little while. For now, Brandon, I feel like we can put a pin in it here. Uh, so 
We will be back at you next week with more rule of it'll be two or three. Could be four. Probably not four. But uh, just, just going to take that back live on air. Probably not four. But we'll be back with more rule of three here next week for now. I'm Robert Schmitz. You can find me on Twitter at Robert K. Schmitz. Brandon, where can folks find you? You can find me at NFL. It's so great to talk ball, even if it's not real football. Absolutely. And hopefully we can get out, whether it's rule of three stuff or just personal stuff, more schematic pieces, whether again, YouTube, Windy City, Twitter, whatever it is. I know the two of us are very, very in right now on trying to really get ready for the NFL season. So we'll see what happens. But until then, Bears fans, bear down. And thanks so much for hanging out with us. City, you know what it is. Blue and orange, blue and orange, blue and orange, blue and orange. Yeah, when I touch down that old hair, blue and orange on me. And I'm saying, go back. More to do's, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all in one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.